Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Any of you brave enough to admit you were feeling beat up two and three weeks ago? No? Good. You got a week off last week. You almost got a week off this week, so we can get back to the fire and brimstone preaching then. <laughs> I want to start off in verse 4, and just by way of refresher, I want to remind you, we've been looking at Ephesians for many months now. Chapters 1 through 3 are reminding us, and Paul's talking about all the things that God has done for the church. He's given you this, he's given you his son, he's given you the Holy Spirit, you're blessed, you have all the riches in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Chapter 1, therefore, there's a pause. Therefore, because of all this that I have given to you, I want you to strive above all else to walk in unity, keeping the bond of peace in the Spirit. That's what we're looking at, verse 3. Now we come to verse 4, and there's this little list, four, five, and six, of all the things that we have in common. Things that you say, well, we don't agree with so-and-so church down the road. Well, I don't agree with my aunt, my uncle. They've got this wrong. They've got that wrong. Paul says, in the unity of the Spirit, keep the bond of the peace. You have all these things in common. Number one, one body. Now, I don't want to bore you to death, intentionally anyway. Let's at least take a glance at these. Believers together have unity because we are all part of one in the same body. So why are there so many denominations then? According to Dr. Todd Johnson at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, he's got to be important, right? That's... He says there are nearly 45,000 denominations in the Christian religion. You've got Assemblies of God and Church of God. And within the Church of God, you've got three different flavors. Charleston, Chat 
Tanuga, and Cleveland. But if you're looking for a blend of the Assemblies of God and the Church of God, I'd recommend you try the Church Assembly Hall. But no worries. If you'd rather go to Jesus' church than God's church, you've got the Church of God in Christ. But don't forget Pentecostalism. You could add Pentecostal to just about anything. Pentecostal Free Will Baptist, for example. By speaking of Baptist, let's not even get started. There's Southern Baptist. There's United Baptist, Independent Baptist, Evangelical Free Baptist, Separate Baptist, Old Time Baptist, Primitive Baptist, Regular Baptist. You're doing great. Only 44,895 left to go. <laughs> Reformed Baptist, American Baptist, Conservative Baptist, Progressive Baptist, Cooperative Baptist, National Baptist, National Free Will Baptist. Is this the kind of unity that Jesus mentioned in his prayer? John chapter 17, if you want to turn there, I want to look at it this morning. I'm going to take a deflection and spend a little bit more time on this because even in my joking, it is a serious matter to our Savior. John chapter 17, this is the high priestly prayer. This is really the Lord's prayer. Before he ascended, before he was crucified, this is the prayer which he prayed to the Father. And just look down on verse 20 of chapter 17. Jesus is speaking. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through the word, that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which I have given, you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may continually know progressive action, that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. The unity that Jesus had with the Father. Would you say it was pretty good? Jesus only spoke the things in which the Father spoke. Jesus only did the things in which the Father did. That's the unity Jesus prayed over the church. Now how on earth is that possible? That we would be in Christ that we would be so in the unity of God that we would begin to share. Now, what's the importance of this? What, why, why does unity even matter? It says it twice here. Verse 21 and in verse 23, very clearly. That the world may believe you sent me, the world may continually know that you sent me, and loved them. Got an evangelistic tool for you. To the degree that the church, not just this church, I'm talking about all churches, to the degree that the bride of Christ is unified together perfectly in the same way that Jesus was with God the Father, the world will begin to see the love of God. Now, we could go into some practical application of that this morning. But that's not where my notes were directed. 
I want you just to think about what things can we do? What things, what, are there any sort of blockages in our mind of ways we look at other denominations? Are there any hindrances to other people, groups, or um, brothers and sisters in Christ? Maybe you've not even thought about them. Maybe it's subconscious. I want us to each just, in our own time this week, ask God, is there something that I'm not, is is there a way that I could be more unified with your bride? Is there a way that I've put up a division? Have I put up a wall, a dividing wall, a barrier between myself and even other people in this room? Lord, may I strive to be unified the way that Jesus is with the Father. That's the importance of it. You know, Baptists aren't the body. Presbyterians aren't the body. Charismatics aren't the body. Non-denominationalists aren't the body. We all together make up one body. And when we major on minor things, we can very easily break unity. And this often happens when we think that we are always right and those that think differently must be wrong. Rather, I think that we need to admit that our knowledge of the Bible and our Christian experience may not yet have been perfected. We may not have fully attained the maturity the way that we think we have. Oh, I've arrived, therefore you're wrong. (laughs) Don't you love those kind of debates? You know, I think it would be, without getting political, I think it should be pretty easy to see in this culture that most people don't really want to have a logical discussion about matters. You know, share their opinions. It's pretty common. You know, people share what they believe in. You can even pick it. You wear t-shirts, whatever. But anytime you share a difference, whether that be through Twitter, Facebook, even in person, most people are not particularly receptive. At least that's my experience. Now, maybe you are just much more loving and articulate than I am. Maybe it's just my opinions are just flat out wrong. I suppose that's an option. But I find there, there are people, you can sit down and have a cordial conversation about things, but most people are made up in their mind what they believe and why they believe it. I would say that Christians also need to be introspective about this issue. Humble ourselves before God and say, God, is there something that I have perceived wrong about your word, about your Holy Spirit? Would you speak to me your revelation that I wouldn't speak my opinions, but I would speak the word of Christ in truth? to my brothers and sisters in Christ. For instance, how old is the earth? What day of the week should we have service? Your views on miracles, head coverings, confessions, instruments, attire, healings, women in the pulpit. Have I offended you yet? Baptism, the Holy Spirit, Trinity, rapture, See, I believe the majority of differences from church to church stem from misinterpretations of God's holy and perfect word. That is not to say that the Bible is flawed. It's that we inject our thoughts into it. Rather than allowing the Holy Spirit, who were explicitly told in John, that he guides us into all truth. So every time we open the word of God, we ought to stop for a moment and say, God... My mind is so small. Help me. Help me to understand your word, your truth. You know, there are seminaries that can't even agree on things. What does that tell you? 
it tells you that education level does not bring you into truth. For you can't have one seminary say one thing and one seminary say the opposite thing and come to the conclusion that, well, if I just learn more, we'll eventually get to objective truth. That's not how it works. The only way you're going to get to objective truth is by the Holy Spirit giving you revelation from God himself. Am I against seminary? Absolutely not. I think there's a place for some of it. I think there's helpful things that are found there in some seminaries. But we really, we don't need man to teach us. You don't need me to teach you. You know what? We all wouldn't be here if we perfectly understood the word. We'd come together. We could probably just scrap the whole Sunday teaching section of, of our service, couldn't we? We'd just come together for worship and for testimony. Why do we do church the way we do it? Because for many hundreds of years, the church had said, you aren't allowed to hold the Bible. You're not allowed to touch it. That's what the Catholic Church taught. You're not worthy. And they put a dividing line between the lay and the priest. They said, You're... finally they came around to the idea. And what happened was the Bible began to be taught and translated into English. People started to get a hold of it. Around the same time, the printing press came about. They were writing all of these scripts by hand. It was tedious. But then they came up with a way to put it in the hands of the people. And they said, wait a second, that's not what it says. Comes Martin Luther knocking on the door. I got 95 propositions that I see are wrong. He wasn't the only one. There were some before him. He was ostracized. They were martyrs for this cause. You know what? I want to remind you that Martin Luther didn't go to a seminary. They weren't around yet. Not that kind of seminary anyway. If we would just get to alone with God and ask him to teach us, that's all you need. That's what I was saying. So we came together, and for many years they were illiterate. People couldn't read, they couldn't write. They might even have a family Bible as late as 100 years ago and not know how to read it. So you would come together on Sunday. We'd have Sunday school. Great. You get to learn about the Bible. But then we all got highly educated and learned how to read, and we just started to close our Bibles and keep it as a nice ornament on the coffee table. Well, I'm just going to let the pastor, the priest, do all the work, and they're just going to give us a little devotional on Sunday mornings. And so it became a need that's happened within the church over time as people know less and less about God's word because they read it less and less for themselves that we have a Sunday morning preaching and teaching time. Is that how church is supposed to be? Not necessarily. Is it wrong? Not necessarily. I think, realistically, we'll probably always be teaching some form of gospel or preaching and, and sharing the good news and testimony. But, but Paul says in Corinthians, when we come together, whether it be a psalm or a hymn or testimony, whatever we do, we do all things for edification. We build each other up. Does it have to be me sharing every Sunday? Absolutely not. My point is this. Let's read the word. Let's ask God to teach us. Let's, let's not let things get in our way and divide us. And, and I think if we would just really look and get alone with God's word and say, God, what is this difference that I have with so-and-so? Am I wrong? Am I right? And the Holy Spirit will teach us. We become the church that we ought to be, unified together. Now, we always like to think that we're perfect, right? This church is the best church. We got all the doctrine squared away. 
and everyone else just needs to submit and come to the realization that we got it right. That's what I'm talking about. We just need to ask God, God, what things can I, what things are essential, what things are not? And as we read our Bible and allow his revelation to permeate our, our man, our spirit man, we begin to live and look like Jesus to the world. That's what it talks about, Jesus. I and you and you and me. That perfect unity that they shared, we're expressing and extending to the world. And the world's be going to be able to know that God loved us and actually sent his son to die for us because of that perfect unity we have for one another. That's the point of church. It's contagious, that love. The world is not experiencing right now. A lot of people are cooped up in their homes. They're, they're shut in, shut out. Don't come over, drop off some food. They can't even get in their cars and go pick it up anymore. Now it's just Uber delivery, right? I'm, there's nothing against that. If you want to do that, that's fine. I like food being delivered to my house too. <laughs> Point is, we don't want to interact with people. But if the church could strategically show what the world is missing. What? Why are those people getting up early on a Sunday morning? Why is it they're getting together on a Wednesday night and a Thursday night and a Friday night <laughs> and a Saturday night? Why are they always together? Why are they always having a good time and bringing food and sharing things? Oh, that God would reveal his love for them through the way we behave and interact. All right, back to some notes before we take you too much further. Off track. Again, I believe the majority of difference stem from misinterpretations of God's word. I believe the bigger failure is that when we allow those differences to break our unity. See, you better believe that Satan loves when Christians split hairs. First we split hairs and then we split churches. You see. Make no mistake that disagreements in the church have always been around as long as the church was in existence. Even at the Council of Jerusalem, you can read about that in Acts 15, there was disagreement, but I want you to know that James was able to find unity. There was a common ground between the Jews and the Gentiles, even though they didn't do everything the way that each other group did. They found something in common. Now, the blunt truth about any church is that there may be dozens of opinions at any one time about dozens of things that they believe God is trying to do, but every believer must make a decision to be a unifier in the midst of God's people, or else they give Satan an opportunity to bring division. Doesn't matter what God's called you to do, what so -and -so, God has called so-and-so to do, you must see it as a unifier. It's not tearing the church in multiple positions, multiple ways, saying, how is God using each of us to reach people? And if that isn't your purpose, if you can't see that and say before God that I believe God is using me, and yet at the same time be unified to your brothers and sisters in Christ that may be doing something a little bit different than you, then check your heart. See, if God, the perfect standard bearer, can tolerate our doctrinal mistakes, and trust me, I'm sure I've got them, why can't we have grace toward the non-essential mistakes of others? Now, as a pastor calling for all opinions of church matters to be allowed in this place, no, it would bring chaos. That's ultimately, in my belief, what the elders are for. 
is to be able to keep things grounded and correct where there needs to be correction. There are certainly lines that cannot be crossed, certain truths that cannot be ignored, and honestly, there is a real danger there. We need to guard against a unity that would dilute the gospel. For instance, you wouldn't strike down the cross of Christ. It's non-negotiable. You wouldn't roll the stone back that uncovered an empty tomb. You wouldn't say, the Holy Spirit of Pentecost, go back to the Father, we don't have need of you. There's a line that must not be crossed. We should remind, be reminded that our churches will never be fully united by looking at the pastor or a program or even one another. We must look at Christ Jesus. I can't unite you. I can't. Not everyone in this room likes me. Not everyone likes the way I preach. Not everyone likes the things that I have to say. Believe it or not, not everyone likes my wife, probably. I haven't found any yet, but I know there's some closet dislikers out there. But you know one thing that we can't agree on? It's Christ Jesus. We are each members of one body, Romans chapter 12, verse 4, and yet that verse continues on. And all the members do not have the same function. We're going to talk about this more as we get on down to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. But being members of one and the same body does not mean that we all must function the exact same way. In fact, our, it is our differences that are working together that makes for a complete and healthy body. That's the analogy. You're probably familiar. We'll, we'll touch on this again in a few weeks. But if we were all hands, how are we going to walk? If we're all ears, how are we going to see? Ears. Did I say ears? Ears. All right. There is implicit diversity in unity. I said that a few weeks ago in regards to unity. There is implicit diversity in unity. There's one body, but not, we are not identical in purpose. And while it is good to be reminded that all humans have a certain unity, the unity that we partake of as Christians is not based on our creation in genetics. It is based on redemption. It is one Christ Jesus that we have something in common. And we're going to stop there this morning and pick up next week with one spirit, one Lord, one hope of our calling, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all.